Good morning, church. Great to see you. 32 is the magic number. 32 days till spring. 32. Eight. This week up to 50. Lots of melting happiness. It's really good. Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. Our text today as we continue this series entitled, Now I See You, is uh, 1 Peter, New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 9 to 12 in just a moment. We have been attempting to get perspective on the view of the world from people who are different than we are. So we've been considering how we can bridge the divide that exists in races and in genders, and today we want to talk about bridging the generational divide, and I hope that it's been meaningful to you. And uh, today's text is a very important one. I love these verses from 1 Peter. In fact, I have them on my personal stationery. If you ever receive a note from me, you'll see that. And I, I love the implication of these words, so I trust it'll be an inspiration to you. As you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. May God inspire us today through these important words. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Often these days uh, you go online or you pick up a magazine, the cover story will be about how distant various generations are feeling from one another. This, this divide that exists between age groups in our culture. A lot of seniors in our culture are feeling marginalized. Gen Xers and Bridgers are feeling misunderstood. Younger people, millennials, Mosaics, emergence, feeling discounted. And the generations seem to be drifting further and further apart. There seems to be very little bridging going on. TV and other media are actually intentionally driving a wedge between us so they can do niche marketing. You can, you can know what demographic is actually watching a particular TV program by the commercials that run uh, during that program. And you can see how easily it is for us to just feel separated from one another that way. The question then is where are the bridges? Are we ever going to be able to bridge the generational divide? Now, I know it's almost impossible to think about any kind of weather pattern in Indiana except this winter that we're experiencing. But just a couple of years ago, you may remember that in the springtime, Indiana suffered some significant flooding and I remember watching a newscast of this on one afternoon, and I, and I noted a, a small town in Indiana, low-lying town, that was threatened by these floodwaters, and there were members of this community who were filling sandbags and carrying these bags and, and, and stacking these sandbags everywhere to protect their businesses and homes and the, and the whole community. And I, I made note of the age groups of the people who were doing this sandbag work. There were folks in their 70s and in their 50s and in their 20s. There's one little guy running around. He couldn't have been more than seven years old, you know, and he's just humping this band of, bag of sand. And I thought to myself, you know, there it is. This is an all-out effort. This is a deal where 
the entire city is being threatened, and it's all hands on deck. Everybody is important. Everybody has value. Everybody has worth. In order to accomplish this job, you need everybody. And coming together to do it is really, really important. Nobody is extraneous. And then I thought about the mission of the church. You know, think about this. The, 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 the idea that God has for us as his people is to save the world. That's our purpose. That's our mission. Now, that sounds a bit grandiose, I know. But it is the mission of the church to spread the message of Jesus Christ to the entire world. That's our job. And the Bible teaches us the value in utilizing people from every generation to get that job done. Nobody is extraneous. We, we need the wisdom and the experience and the life knowledge of the seniors. We need everyone in the middle. We need everyone on the younger end. Because what we are doing is so big and so important, everybody is going to be required. It's all hands on deck. And it feels right, doesn't it, to say we all need to partner in this most important work of sharing Jesus with the world. Now, while the culture tries to split, divide the generations, we want to unite and celebrate the unique qualities, unique gifts, and capacities of each generation. And once we have those values uh, exercised and practiced within the church, then we can take those values outside and influence the culture around us. Let's, uh, let's consider some of the different age groups this morning. Let's talk about children for, for just a little while. I heard the story of a first grade teacher who had 26 students in her class, and she presented each child in her classroom the first half of a well-known proverb and asked them to come up with the remainder of the proverb. So here are the 26 answers from these first graders. The first one went, don't change horses, and the first grader responded, until they stop running. Strike while the bug is close, was the answer. It's always darkest before daylight savings time. Never underestimate the power of termites, of course. You can lead a horse to water, but how? <laughs> Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. Don't do that. No news is impossible. A miss is as good as a mister. You can't teach an old dog new math. It just can't be done. If you lie down with dogs, you'll stink in the morning. <laughs> Love all, trust me. Trust me. The pen is mightier than the pigs. Who knows? An idle mind is the best way to relax. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's pollution. <laughs> Happy the bride who gets all the presents. Mm -hmm. A penny saved is not much, not much. <laughs> Two's company, three's the musketeers, of course. Don't put off till tomorrow what you put on to go to bed. <laughs> Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you'll have to blow your nose. There are none so blind as Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I don't know. It's a first grader. Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. Yeah. If at first you don't succeed, get new batteries. You get out of something only what you see pictured on the box. Uh, when the blind lead the blind, get out of the way. A bird in the hand is going to poop on you. <laughs> and the winner of the last one, number 26, better late than 
pregnant. <laughs> I heard this story. I don't know if it's true or just apocryphal, but due to a powder, power outage, only one paramedic responded to a call from a woman who was giving birth uh, in her home. The house was very dark, so the paramedic asked Kathleen, a three-year-old girl, to hold a flashlight high over her mommy so he could see while he helped her deliver the baby. Very diligently, Kathleen did as she was asked. Heidi pushed and pushed the mother, and after a little while, Connor, a little Connor, was born. The paramedic lifted him by his little feet and spanked him on his bottom. Connor began to cry. The paramedic then thanked Kathleen for her help and asked the wide-eyed three-year-old what she thought about what she had just witnessed. Kathleen quickly responded, he shouldn't have crawled up there in the first place, smack his butt again. <laughs> it's right, isn't it, to instill in our children at the earliest possible moment the foundations of the faith that will last them a lifetime. Our children's workers here in the church are, are starting to report to us that children are asking important questions, and it seems even younger and younger these questions are emerging in, in, in the minds of our kids. Uh, this recent survey of children lists five questions that are most prominent among children in our culture right now today. Number one, will my dog go to heaven? Number two, is it okay to be mean to my sister if she's being mean to me first? Everyone's always looking for a loophole, I guess. Number three, can I be cool and love God at the same time? Number four, where do people go when they die? Number five, how do I know there really is a God? These are great questions, aren't they? Very good questions. And we have the opportunity in our lives to watch our kids take their first steps, build their first relationships, get their heart broken for the first time, you know, take the first big test. And I know you agree, while we're doing these First things, these, observing these kids, it's also wise for us to instill the spiritual truth so that they can have a, a mooring to hold on through the storms and the questions of life. So important. We have the opportunity to paint their first picture of God, and we try hard to get that right. We remind our children they are loved unconditionally by God, that His love includes the life of His very own Son on their behalf, and that He wants to have a personal relationship with them that will last forever, forever hopeful. We want our children to understand that God made them and wants the best for them. God wants them to have the best life ever. And by the way, we use the Bible, God's amazing book, to teach creatively and relevantly the truth and values that last. We teach our children that God's word is true and speak to every area of our lives. Some of you, like me, were raised in churches that either directly and mostly indirectly gave us the impression that serving God, serving God was, 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 was not fun at all, that God was somehow against having fun, and that the Bible was just a very boring book. And how in the world the church could come to the conclusion that serving God is not fun and that the Bible is boring is beyond my comprehension, because just the opposite is true. Living for God is a wonder. It is an adventure. It is exciting. It is not boring. It is, it is one step of excitement after another. I'm telling you, following Jesus is an adventuresome life. And his book, the Bible, is an amazing book 
filled with his truth relevant for what we believe and how we live. And we, and we should find it exciting and inspiring. Remember Jesus, at times we find in the gospel, he's with children and, and he was attractional with children. And children are found around him and laughing and giggling and partying around him. And oftentimes at the same moment, we see older people impatient with Jesus for allowing children to be around him. On one occasion, he said, look, let the little ones come unto me. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, look, these, these children are important. They are part of the kingdom. They are part of the deal. They are part of the witness that I want to make to the world. And so we have to bridge, we have to bridge over this divide. Jesus was regularly reaching over the generational divide. He, he knew how important it was to bless little ones, to speak words of love and hope and encouragement and life into them. Sometimes we, we, we say, you know, we need some folks to sign up to work in the nurseries or in our children's ministries, and this is such a performance-based culture we live in, and, and we're always asking the ROI question, what, what's the return on investment? And we wonder, you know, if I go over there and volunteer with children, is that, you know, what value is that going to add to my life? But it's the wrong question. It's the wrong point of view. The right question is, do we see the potential, the God-given potential in these children, and am I regularly investing? Am I building a bridge across this divide generationally to give them and instill in them the right stuff so that they'll be ready for life? Let me ask you, when was the last time you spoke into a child's life? I hope it was recently. I don't mind the question because it was just yesterday. Beth and I stopped by our oldest son's home just briefly, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we saw our two oldest grandchildren there, and, you know, they come running, and we're chasing them around the house for a few minutes, and just in a, in a casual, private moment, I grabbed the oldest one and just squeezed her and, and whispered in her ear, you are so special. God has such a great plan for you. Your life is going to be so great. And you are so special. So keep following Jesus. And I grabbed the little one. I said the same kind of words. And listen, those are the seeds that take root in a young heart and form the foundations of faith that can last a lifetime. Speaking into these children's lives is what we do. And it's who we are. And we trust in God's truth to establish the hope in their own heart. Well, let's talk about youth for just a moment, if we can. Um, much, much of being a youth is about waiting. Think about that. It's about waiting. Wait until you're older, get your license, turn 18. But the real message is you are somebody vital and useful to God right now. That's the message that needs to be heard. Youth is a precious gift. Youth is a gift that you can present to God, but it's a fleeting gift. You can never give your gift of youth to God ever again. The Bible says give God the first fruits of your life. What happens all too often is we squander our youth or despise our youth or we count it as no value, so we do not give it to God. When we're young, though, the only thing we have to give God is our youth. Too often the opportunity is lost and we end up regretting the choices we make in youth. But youth is a gift you can only give to God when you're young. You cannot give your life to God retroactively. Are you following this? You either give your youth to God or you steal your youth from God. If, if there's anything of value or of significance about your life, then it's worth presenting to God. Romans 12, 1, present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the right thing to do. Give your life to God. Present your body to God. Let me ask you a question. When do you have control of your body? The answer is right now. You don't have control of your body yesterday. You don't have control of your body tomorrow. You have control of your body right now. So wherever you are right now, at this point in your life, give it to God. If you're young, this is the only opportunity you will ever have to give God your youth. And if you waste it, you'll never have that privilege again. Let me just say it this way. There's only one time in your life when you can give your whole life to God, and that's when you're young. Are you following this? And, and, and you th listen, you don't have to wait. So much about youth is waiting, it seems, in our culture, but you don't have to wait to have a significant part to play in God's plan. You can begin to experience that right now. There are lies being perpetrated on our youth culture in today's world. Let me just share some of those lies with you. I want to put it on the screen so maybe it'll soak in. No, here's the first lie. Short-term gratification will bring long-term happiness. Short-term gratification will bring long-term happiness. So the world says, do it now, experience it now, have it now, don't wait. And that'll make you happy long-term. Well, those of us who've lived for a little while and we actually understand the Bible a little bit, we've discovered that just the opposite is true. In fact, if you make a short-run decision for holiness, you're making a long-term decision for happiness. If you do what's right today, then you've got a better chance of things turning out right tomorrow. If you compromise and cave in and give in today, then you're asking, you're asking for heartache tomorrow. So if you do what's right, you have a better chance of things turning out right. So don't buy it. Don't believe the lie that short-term gratification brings long-term happiness. It's just simply not true. Here's another lie. It's too hard to be a Christian. Have you heard this one? Even if you haven't heard it, it's, it's implicit in our culture today. There's so much pushback against Christianity and Christian values and virtues in our culture. And so see, people say, look, it's just too hard to be a Christian in today's culture. I mean, the expectations are too high. The demand's too great. There's no, even, no point in even trying to live the Christian life. It can't be done. It's just too hard to be a Christian. Let me just counter that for a moment. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is when you're 16 and you go home and tell your parents that your girlfriend's pregnant. What's hard is when you're, when you're 15 and you go home and you, and you tell your parents that you're, you're hooked on illicit drugs. And, that's, and that's, why you're, that's why your school is dissolving. What's hard is when, when you get arrested for driving drunk and someone else has been hurt, permanently hurt. That's a bad day. That's really hard. Listen, it's possible to live the Christian life. In fact, the promise of God is that if you'll give your life to Jesus, he will provide the power you need in order to live a victorious life. Not just get by, but to live an abundant life, a better life, an extreme life. That's the blessing that God promises us. So don't buy this nonsense that it's too hard to be a Christian. It's not too hard. Not at all. Number three, you have to be rebellious. Now, this is an age-old lie. It comes from the father of lies. And, and it, suggests that, it suggests that you have to, you know, sow that wildness, you know, be, be rebellious and be... Listen, 
Listen to me. In the name of Jesus, I give you permission. Young person, listen. I give you permission to be nice to your parents. There you go. If you're looking for permission, I give you permission to be nice to your parents and to your teachers and to your pastor. You, you don't have to be rebellious. Where does that come from? That's a lie, lie, lie. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's a lie. Don't buy that nonsense. It's not true. Here's the last one I'll just offer, and that is nobody understands. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows how I feel. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Listen, sweetheart, everyone older than you knows exactly what you're going through. Everybody. Your 45-year-old mother, she knows what you are going through. She remembers 16. She remembers all the confusion, all the loneliness, the hormones, the mixture of feelings and emotions you're living with. She remembers all of it. Your dad, listen, young man, your dad remembers 17. He knows. He understands. <laughs> We're raising our boys. Our boys constantly brought this up. My, our oldest son was constantly saying to me things like, you just don't believe in me. And yes, I do. You just don't trust me. I said, you got that right. <laughs> I remember 17. You don't trust a 17-year-old. That's insane. See, I told you you don't trust me. You're, you, you're right. I don't trust you not for a half a second. You nuts. The point is I understand. I get it. I know what 17 is like. And so, so don't believe the lie that nobody understands because people do. Now, we may not be relating to you very well or connecting with you or bridging across the divide very well, and we need to work on that piece. But it's a lie to think that no one understands. Let me just remind you about a boy king who came to rule in Israel and reformed the whole nation. His name was Josiah. You know how old Josiah was when he began to rule in Jerusalem? He was eight. Now, there's a, there's a boy with some capacity. Impressive, isn't it? There's a little shepherd boy named David. He went out and destroyed a giant one day and restored Israel. The Bible says that he became a man after God's own heart. He, it was through his lineage that Jesus the Christ came into the world. This was a guy who changed the world. He started as a, as a boy. Let me remind you that there was a young teenage girl named Mary, through whom the Messiah came into the world, the virgin. Let me just remind you, God is in the business of doing significant things through young people. Youth are not merely the church of the future. Youth are the church of today. The 180 program here, our ministry to youth at Union Chapel, is to students and of students. God wants to use average, ordinary students to do extraordinary things in His name. And I have to tell you that this, it's not easy. It, it doesn't come natural for me and for most to bridge this, gen, this generational divide. I stand here when kids are coming into 180, and I look at it, you know, and I just have this impulse. I just want to walk over to some of these guys and go, like, pull up your pants. <laughs> just, just pull them up. Nobody look, wants to look at your underwear. Pull them up. But I resist that because that's not going to help anything. That's not going to help. And it's, and it's not infrequent that one of these guys, you know, that I would be, my impulse is to correct them some way, is to come up to me and say, hey, cool sermon today, Pastor Greg. And I realize, you know, okay, they're listening. They're getting it. That helps. That, that matters. 
Here's what I think youth need. I think they need unconditional love, no matter what. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how they dress, no matter what their attitude is, unconditionally, we want to love them. Unconditional love. The second thing that youth need is forthright guidance. Forthright guidance. Youth show this capacity to actually sort it out and distill it down to what actually is true and what actually works. And if that's the case, then they need it straight. And we need to stop hedging on it. And parents need to stop equivocating and compromising and say, well, you know, that's not a really good thing to do, so we'll let it go this time. No, we need, we need to be forthright because it's the truth that liberates. The truth will set you free. And so kids want it and need it straight. So forthright guidance is important. Here are the parameters. There are guardrails on either side of this road. Now just, just go Go anywhere you want on the road there. Just, you know, just have, have a great time. But don't, if you get outside of the guardrails, something bad's going to happen. Kids need that. We all need that. And so be forthright about it. And the third thing that kids need is they need access to the power of the Holy Spirit. They need access to the power of the age to come because, listen, no one, none of us can live the Christian life in our own power. We need the grace and power of the Holy Spirit present in our lives. And so we need to know we're loved unconditionally. We need the truth and we need it forthrightly. And we need to be exposed to God's power and presence. And that's how we make it. Well, let me just uh, move then to the subject of young adults. This Generation X, if you will, 13th generation Sociologists have dubbed some of these uh, folks slackers, others squires, now blending into the postmoderns, the bridgers, mosaics, millennials. One thing for sure about them is they hate to be labeled or be put in a box. There is, however, one word that summarizes them fairly well, and that's the word broken. This is the most abused, abandoned, aborted, and antagonized generation in all of American history. Most of these kids, the majority of these kids come from broken homes, broken leaders, broken promises. Many of them are scared. Some are confused. Many are enraged. And having said that, and you say, well, boy, that sounds kind of hopeless. No, there is a God. Watch. There is a God who can bring hope and healing and purpose and direction to a broken generation. God alone can take the pieces of our lives, fashion them together, and bring it to a beautiful mosaic. There is so much diversity and there is so much contrast and difference and, and, and nuance in this generation, but God is at work bringing hope to this important generation. There have been questions asked of us in leadership here at Union Chapel over the last couple of years. Why all the changes? Why, why have we remodeled the sanctuary the way it is? Why, why have we changed venues for worship? Why the style tweaks? And why, why all this thing going on? Now, let me just... Let me tell you what our, our motive is. I want to be clear to you about this. Our worship services have an eye on an extreme generation, the one I'm describing, who are looking for an authentic experience with God and an authentic experience with one another. So we want to offer music and arts and technology and fun and relationships and teaching that's invitational to consider the power of the story of Jesus Christ. Because there is something real to be found in life through a relationship with Jesus. Knowing Jesus really matters. 
It really helps. So here's a generation that struggles with moral absolutes, a lot of moral relativity then being expressed. There is no common language. You can't actually speak to all of them all at once because definitions have been squeezed and morphed and changed. But they do love the arts, and they love the story and the narratives. They love sensory experiences, especially in worship. They love relationships. They love authenticity. And let me tell you why I have such hope for this generation. I want to put this on the screen. There are two reasons. One is this generation has a core honesty. Core honesty. They are, you are willing to distill all other alternatives that are not real and not working in order to embrace ultimate truth. And friends, because of that capacity, that tendency, then eventually you're going to discover the real thing. And let me just tell you what the real thing is. The real thing is Jesus. He is truth. He is real. And he does work in your life. Knowing Jesus Christ really matters. And because you have a core honesty about pursuing the truth and wanting to get to the bottom of it, that eventually is going to lead you to what is ultimately true. And Jesus is the way. And he is the truth. And he is the life. There are voices in our culture trying to discard and dissuade you from thinking that Christianity and Christian values and the person of Jesus himself are not authentic and not real and not true. But listen to me. Let your core honesty take you to the place where you'll find ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. His name is Jesus. And the second reason that I am hopeful for this generation is because of the core concern for others. They are, you are passionate about the needs of people around you. You care about social justice issues. You care about global redemption, about the care of the planet. These are all good impulses. And so let me just say to those of us who are older, invite them, take them, talk with them, invest in them, build a bridge over to the next generation. You hear me talk about living my life and finishing well. And I have, I have a two-pronged goal in my own life to get to the end of my life having finished well. Finishing well for me means at least these two things. It means having kept the faith. I get to the end of my time and I, my faith is still intact. You say, well, is that a big deal? That's a huge deal because people walk away from the faith all the time and they lose their faith. Life happens and life puts pressure on us and sometimes it squeezes faith out of us. And I want to get to the end of life and still have the faith. The Apostle Paul said, look, I ran the race, I finished the course, I kept the faith. That's a big deal. Ring the bell. <laughs> kept the faith. And so that, that represents finishing well to me, but there's another component that represents that to me, and that is sharing the faith, passing on the faith. So I don't want to keep the faith, but I want to give it to the next generation, and I want to hand it off well. And so that explains, in some part at least, why we do what we do. Well, the next generation is the boomer generation. These are people born between 1946 and 64. It's a, it's a large population. Much has been said and written about the boomers. In fact, so much that we're tired of it. It is my generation. I did find this list uh, for all of us baby boomers who are feeling a little older. You may know that some of our favorite songs have been re-released with new titles to accommodate our aging process. For example, Herman's Hermits has, been re has released a new song, Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Walker. <laughs> the Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Hip? 
the temptations. Papa's got a kidney stone. <laughs> Nancy Sinatra, these boots aren't made for bunions. The Beatles, I get by with a little help from Depends. <laughs> Marvin Gaye, I heard it through the grape nuts. <laughs> the Rolling Stones, you can't always pee when you want. <laughs> Paul Simon, 50 ways to lose your liver. <laughs> Abba has, has re-released Denture Queen. <laughs> Leo Sayer, you make me feel like napping. The Commodores, once, twice, three times to the bathroom. <laughs> Bobby Darren, splish, splash, I was having a flash. <laughs> this is all nervous laughter that you're hearing from boomers. Yeah, it's kind of scary. So let's skip the boomers. Let's, let's talk about seniors for just a moment. When I think about seniors, you know, these are real signs of getting old. One woman said, I feel like my body's gotten totally out of shape, so I got my doctor's permission to join a fitness club and start exercising. I decided to take an aerobics class for seniors. I bent, twisted, gyrated, jumped up and down, perspired for an hour. But by the time I got my leotards on, the class was over. <laughs> Reporter interviewing a 104-year-old woman. And what do you think is the best thing about being 104? And the woman said, hey, no peer pressure. One person said, the nice thing about being senile is you can hide your own Easter eggs. That could come in handy. Just before the funeral services, the undertaker came up to the very elderly widow and asked, how old was your husband? 98, she replied, two years older than me. Oh, so you're 96, the undertaker commented. She responded, yeah, hardly worth going home, is it? One old guy said, I've sure gotten old. I had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind, can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine, take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts. I have bouts with dementia. I have poor circulation, hardly feel my hands and feet anymore. Can't remember if I'm 85 or 92. I've lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. <laughs> What is that about? <laughs> One woman said, my memory's not as sharp as it used to be. Also, my memory's not as sharp as it used to be. <laughs> Explain it to him when you get home. Yeah. Know how to prevent sagging? Someone said, just eat till the wrinkles fill out. <laughs> just remember, you don't stop laughing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop laughing. Yeah. Here's the senility prayer. Grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. <laughs> Seniors in our culture often get marginalized and, and misunderstood. And here's what we're seeing from seniors in today's culture. These are folks who have lived their lives with some sense of purpose and they want to finish their lives in a significant way. And that's a good impulse for seniors. But it's not easy because these, these generational divides are so great and so, and so broadening that you have to be intentional about it. You have to work at it because it doesn't come natural. It's not intuitive for us to bridge this generational divide. 
But it's so important that we do it because we need the wisdom of folks who've lived a while. We need, the, we need to understand the value in the experience that comes from being alive for a long time. And so the younger we are, the more we need to rely on this and allow this bridge to be created. I, want to, I love this verse in, in Psalm 92. I want to put it on the screen for you. We'll get to the end here. Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. It says, But the godly shall flourish like the palm trees and grow tall as the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own garden and are under his personal care. Look at this next phrase. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit and be vital and green. Isn't that beautiful? Still produce, be vital, green. This honors the Lord and exhibits his faithful care. See, culture says get to a certain age, retire from your career, start taking your pension, your Social Security, and then go live under a rock. Try to stay out of the way. So if, if your idea of is to spend the rest of your life under a rock, you need to shake yourself free from that because God is not done with you. He's not done with you. Look at it. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. Be vital and green. This honors the Lord and exhibits His faithful care. So no matter where you are on the generational continuum today, could I just encourage you? If you're a younger person, start reaching out to those who are older and build a bridge and, and show the respect and show the gratitude that's appropriate. And if you're of, of an older generation, then start bridging back toward the younger and perhaps apologize for being critical or judgmental and too quick, too quick to pass that judgment. And maybe for all of us, it's, it's right for us to pause and go, you know, really, when you put it in the context of what God has called us all to do together as the people of God, the church in the world, it's going to take everybody. And we're all important. And we all matter. And we all have value. And so we need to encourage one another across the generational lines to be the best God that's called us to be so that the influence that God gives us in our culture will be a great light. So let's pause now and just give this matter to prayer and ask God to help us. Let's do so. Lord, we want to be bridge builders. We don't want to add to the divide. And Lord, those of us who are older, we confess that we failed oftentimes to bridge the gap. And so forgive us, Lord, for our tendency to dismiss and to isolate. And Lord, for those of us who are younger, we confess our tendency to be dismissive and to falsely accuse and judge the older. Lord, help us to build a bridge. Give us a vision for what our lives and even our church can be as we are the first to reach across and bridge the generational divide because we're all important. No one's extraneous. Everyone has value. And as we each play the part you've called us to, embracing one another, everybody's in, all hands on deck, then the work gets done. That's what we want. 
because we know that this is what honors you and reflects your faithful care. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.